Finance Podcast from Bottomline Technologies. Hi, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to our discussion about managing AP amidst COVID-19. My name is Andrea Eaton, VP Solutions Marketing and Sales Enablement at Bottomline Technologies, and I'll be moderating today's conversation between myself and two of my colleagues who I'll let introduce themselves. Thanks, Andrea. This is Eric Morgan. I'm Bottomline's EVP and Global Controller, and in that role, I have oversight over Bottomline's accounting operations worldwide. Hey, Andrea, this is uh, Bill Wardwell. I'm the uh, SVP of Strategy and Product. Um, I have oversight for uh, teams that are focused on um, developing uh, payment automation and AP automation solutions. Thanks, Eric and Bill. Looking forward to our discussion today. So President Trump declared a state of emergency on March 13, and you know, a month later, today it's April 15th, we still don't know for sure when businesses will reopen um, on a widespread basis and what that new normal will look like when they do. Um, and most organizations have long had business continuity plans in place, but this pandemic is definitely forcing them to execute against them and has potentially uncovered some areas that no one would have thought to consider even with the best laid plans. Bottom line is actually part of a treasury coalition along with some other providers in our space and corporate treasury consulting group, Strategic Treasurer. Uh, together, we've been surveying finance and treasury professionals about how this evolving situation is impacting them. Um, just a few data points to share with our listeners and help frame this discussion. When we asked about work from home related challenges in week one of our survey, the biggest issue reported by treasury was concern over the completeness of BCP plans and whether they truly address the move to work from home and required um, adaptation of processes. Fast forward to week three of the survey and the largest concerns reported were more team members working remotely now than a few weeks ago and just ensuring necessary access to all technology applications for those employees. Um, the survey has also showed us that a third of organizations have had to delay their payables. Only 2% have been able to speed up payments to key suppliers. Um, and that there's negative outlook for liquidity on receivables. So definitely challenges across both the AP and AR sides of the house. Um, so moving into our discussion today, a question to both of you, and um, we'll start with Eric. If you consider the pandemic's impact on businesses' financial operations, could you share any general observations you've made, maybe even that have been surprising or eye-opening to you? Uh, sure, thanks, Andrea. Well, I think, uh, you know, I think as business continuity planning goes, and I, I guess I'll speak for myself and, the, you know, the oversight I have across the global accounting team, this, this circumstance certainly, you know, far exceeds any contingency plan, a continuity plan we would have normally rehearsed for, the, the scope, the magnitude, every office, um, every division, everyone at home, uh, for a persistent period of time with really no way to gauge how long that would, uh, how long that will last. So I think as we looked at this internally at bottom line, we went to a global, well, we announced a global work from home requirement on March 13th, which I think, you know, was generally in the uh, same proximate period in which, in which many corporations in the U.S. were taking similar moves. You know, our, our first requirement was to sort of get the team operational, make sure they had the the assets they needed to work from home, the, the, the ability to function, fully function as a, as a team that, and you were talking about a team that historically would have been an in-office team worldwide, not a, not a work from home in any real um, 
in any real sense historically putting that entire team into a work from home model, getting that team up and running and operational, if you will, and just being able to sustain financial operations really with the magnitude of challenges um, all of this has created was, was, our, was our first focus and our, our predominant challenge. You know, I think with respect to our global team, within a, about a week to a week and a half, we were in a very highly effective oper operationalized state. And I would say outside of the unusualness of how we're now working in terms of effectiveness, I think we're quite effective. Uh, I think we're covering all major areas of financial operations, inbound cash, out outbound cash. So I feel very pleased with our response to that. But again, I would say just the scope of this is, I suspect this is true for many companies far outside of what they normally would have planned for. Thanks, Eric. Um, Bill, any observations that you'd like to share? Yeah, I would. Um, you know, I think, you know, what Eric touched on and, and the, you know, the scope of what organizations have had to deal with um, within their financial operations is obviously, you know, very large and, and very disruptive. And, you know, as we, we talk to customers, one of the things that I, you know, really observe and, and, and it's great to see is really the resiliency and the creativity of the, the teams that are managing all the financial processes that go into accounting, accounts payable, accounts receivable. And, you know, we're really seeing companies step up, you know, their communication with their key partners. So working with suppliers to make sure they have the um, most up-to-date procedures on how to submit invoices electronically, how to get payments sent electronically so that both their organization can operate effectively, but also that their suppliers and partners can bill them and receive payments in a, in a timely manner. I think the other thing that we, you know, continue to see um, within this, you know, pandemic is organizations um, you know, really looking to work with partners, you know, such as like a bottom line technologies to understand where technology can help in various situations, you know, whether that is making sure they have um, the best access to invoice data, payment data, or they're using the most up-to-date tools to help them to be able to um, accelerate and efficiently manage payments. So I think in general, you know, what we're seeing, like I said, is like organizations are adapting to this, they're resilient, um, but they're also being really open and, you know, communicating and partnering with organizations that they do business with, either from a, you know, supply chain perspective or from a technology perspective. Thanks, Bill. Um, and, and Eric, you know, Bill touched on electronic invoice and payment processing. Could you share a little bit about what your AP process looked like, you know, on the best of days pre-pandemic? Yeah, sure. So we've certainly always had a, a bias within the group, within bottom line, of course, to uh, to be embracing electronic uh, payments and electronic document management wherever we could. And, you know, using using sort of the, the U.S. operations as a surrogate, you know, 85 to 90 percent of our outbound payments are either made electronically or outsourced check uh, print models. It's a, it's a very small minority of payments that we actually physically cut a check in any office location. There's some point of need stuff always. I don't know that you ever get that to zero, but it's really a very, very small component of, of how we would operate in a normal day-to-day. -day. So, I, you know, again, I think part of that just become, just comes into, into our psychology given what bottom line does, and we've always tried to leverage our own solutions end-to-end -end wherever we could. Uh, and be sort of a showcase for that in terms of their efficiency, their scalability. So I think in a, in a normal day-to-day, -day, we've 
we have we have relatively small accounts payable team across North America. It's only it's only four people, and you know we can we can scale that team very very nicely in a normal day to day just through the uh, deployment of technology. So prior to this, I would have said that everything just sort of works as it should. Uh, this this generally some resistance across some spectrum of vendors relative to electronic payments. But I, you know, I think we work on that just as a normal, a normal approach to try to break down those barriers. And, uh, and perversely, this, I think this opportunity, uh, this work from home opportunity has put uh, vendors in a circumstance where they, if they were getting a physical check, they're really unable to, to process that and the, they would have historically. And I think it's an, an opportunity uh, for, for us to continue to demonstrate the ability of electronic payments to solve a real business need, not only in this moment, but hopefully beyond this moment, when parties that may not have been, been being paid that way really can step back and evaluate how efficient that process is. Again, not just in this moment, but uh, uh, in an ongoing type review. Sure, that, that makes total sense. And you know, if you think about your, you know, your pre-pandemic AP process, it sounds like it was you know, highly electronic, and that probably you know positioned you fairly well to transition to, um, you know, the way that you're working now. But I'm assuming that there have been you know some challenges or adjustments for your team along the way, or um, maybe this has highlighted some areas of the process that. Um, maybe have opportunity for further improvements. Could you talk about that a little bit, Eric? Uh, you know, I, I said the 85 to 90 percent, and just to just to be clear on that metric, that's a combination of electronic payments, which would be the substantial majority of of that percentage, as well as outsourced checks. So there still is a physical check involved in some of those metrics, but they're not; those are not processed within bottom line. They're outsourced to a check provide check print vendor, and that's just part of an outsourced solution, which is, again, very scalable and very efficient. You know, that, that if you say that 10% remaining, even though it's a small percentage, that's still real work that's historically been people putting hands on a document, hands on a check, signing a check. So we've not been able to take that, even in this environment, to 0%. There's still some, uh, you know, some requirement periodically to have to make physical payments. What we've done as a response certainly is reduce the number of, uh, you know, we, we historically we would have done a weekly check run. We've actually gone to uh, every other week at this point and that might get, uh, that, got, that might even get elongated further. So we've really had to use this as an opportunity to challenge even that 10% and to work with vendors, express to them what they're already seeing and feeling, you know, the inability to put people in an office or to send people uh, in to sign checks or print checks. There's just a reality to that given our current circumstance. And since we're all going through it, that resonates with people. So our experience as we've worked through these last four weeks really is that vendors are, are very receptive to that feedback and want to understand what they can do uh, to help get themselves paid quickly, not have things delayed. At this point, I think every organization is focused on cash and sustaining cash flow. So if part of this certainly challenge that we're faced with now provides a little bit more natural discussion to try to automate processes that may up until now not have been automated. Certainly, um, yeah, and, and that vendor perspective is, is important and it's great to hear that, um, you know, there's been understanding amongst the supplier community and, and willingness to work together to find solutions that um, that keep payment processes running as smoothly as possible. Let's talk in for a minute about each of your teams. You're both leaders of teams. 
one that is responsible you know, for a business's financial operations, and another that builds solutions to help those teams do their jobs more easily. Um, Eric, as you think about you know, making your team's lives easier now um, and, and potentially when things return to normal, uh, what, what measures do you expect you might take to do that? Well, it's an interesting question as well. I, you know, I think in terms of what we've done so far, and I say so far really a, a, essentially a month into a remote work model, I, I think we've done what we can do relative to equipping our team with what they need to work successfully in this environment. You know, as I look to long-term, and I don't even know, and I suspect, I suspect this is a common viewpoint, I don't even know at this point what a return to normal looks like. I'm not sure that the normal that we're gonna enter into as a next phase is, is actually gonna resemble what normal was uh, 60 days ago. So I, I, I suspect we're gonna be in a protracted period of, some degree of remote work and, and working from home. And I think even when people start to return to an office environment, that's likely to happen in stages. Uh, each, you know, each decision made based on an individual's comfort level or, or a corporate entity's comfort level. And I think that will happen differently for different companies. So, you know, my goal is unchanged. Uh, it's unchanged now as it would have been 60 days ago. The goal I've always had, and I think most people in my role would have, would be to have operations that are as efficient, as cost effective, and as scalable as possible. And with the technology as it exists today, that's typically the lever that can bring great scalability. Uh, you know, one of the things we say all the time, even when we, even when we deploy new technology, we've, we very, very rarely, I would never say never, but we very, very rarely deploy technology solutions with an eye toward reducing headcount. What we deploy are solutions that help us minimize the need for ongoing headcount additions that we can continue to scale as an existing team very efficiently. So that to me is the always goal and that, that has not changed. Thanks, Eric. And Bill, you know, as you hear Eric talk about things like cost effectiveness, efficiency, and, and scalability being goals of his, how are you and your team uh, thinking about helping customers through this time and, and even after? Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of, you know, key areas that, that we're really focused on with, you know, helping our customers to, you know, hit on the areas that, that Eric just mentioned. I mean, first and, and foremost right now is, you know, we're really, you know, trying to be front and center and to be there to um, meet and talk and communicate with customers to make sure that um, they're leveraging the technologies that they have in the best possible ways. You know, it's really amazing to, you know, work with customers and see that there are areas where even existing solutions that they've deployed, they haven't, you know, maybe used them to the fullest. And so, you know, talking to customers about, you know, different ways that they can leverage reporting, different ways that they can leverage tools uh, that are in the cloud that help with collaboration with their suppliers. Also working with them to make sure they understand the um, products and services that we can um, bring to bear to help them with their suppliers and, you know, do some of the things that Eric mentioned earlier on, like help move suppliers to, to electronic payments. Um, the other thing that we're, you know, continuing to do also, and, and not trying to do this through a sales lens, but to work with customers to make sure they know what other options are available for them to potentially leverage new technologies. Um, you know, Eric mentioned, you know, sort of the last mile of, of payment automation as far as, you know, there's certain entities, whether they're, you know, consumers or small businesses that have been hesitant over time to move to electronic, in particular electronic payments, and there's solutions out there that can help customers 
customers. And I think that, um, you know, we're hearing more and more and we're talking more and more to customers about different ways that they can pay those type of organizations um, in, in different manners than they had previously. Um, and so, you know, we're really just focused on educating, being there for customers, understanding their pain points, and then seeing where we can bring technology to the, to the table and help them. Great, and, and if you think about, you know, what are the most important process changes for finance and accounting teams right now, if you, if you had to pick one or two, what would you say? Uh, to me, it's, it's fairly simple. Uh, it's, it's digital, right? I mean, most organizations really need to be focused on how do they get to more digital and electronic invoices, purchase orders, and payments. And, you know, a lot of organizations, like Eric mentioned, what he's done with his team, have embraced that concept and have made progress in, you know, moving to digital or electronic. But I, I still think that that is, by and large, the area where most organizations really need to continue to be focused on and working really collaboratively with um, other entities in their supply chain to help make that that progression to digital. If you think about you know all the challenges that come with working from home or working in a uh, remote environment or operating on a mobile device or not being able to get into an office, if you if you're operating in a manner where an invoice is digital or a payment is digital, that that process gets a lot easier, right? And it gets a lot easier whether you're in the office or out of the office. And so, I mean, it's just, it's, it's a simple view of it, but it's really the right view. Um, just focus on technology that will help you get to digital and electronic. And I think, you know, organizations also need to be thinking about it, you know, through the lens of it's a great process change for them, but it's a really great process change for their supplier community too. Um, and Andrew, you mentioned, you know, earlier some of the data that was um, gleaned from a, a survey about what organizations are, you know, seeing for pain points. And it, and it talks about, you know, problems with receivables and the ability to apply cash. And, you know, organizations are really focused not only on, you know, operating their financial processes really well, but their key partners that are integrated into their supply chain, they want them to be able to operate well too. And, you know, moving to digital, you know, helps all parties in, in those transactions. If I could just add one thing there, I thought that was a great answer by Bill, but I want to go back to one thing I said at the beginning of this call, that at least in respect of how I might have looked at contingency, well, I'll just speak for myself, how I might have looked at contingency planning across bottom line's global accounting operations, and that this event, this challenge would certainly be well outside of anything I might have planned for. That's all changed now, and I think that's gonna change across global commerce. Everyone now that does contingency planning will plan another event like this. You're almost negligent if you don't. So even though the focus of the last several weeks I suspect in most companies has just been focused on the basic of basics, keeping employees safe, keeping employees healthy, and trying to get operational in a remote work model. Ultimately, all of these experiences will bleed back through business continuity plans for companies all over the world. And companies are taking note of where they're struggling right now in this environment. And the, 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 the new wave of business continuity planning will absolutely plan for an event such as this again. So again, I think there's a natural dialogue that just emerges from that as companies look at stress points in the, in the financial flow cycle, be it documents, 
payments, whatever it is, I think that's just going to be a natural thing that companies focus more attention on. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Eric, really well said. Um, and if you think you know, about your team and if you hadn't you know, implemented the automation that you have, um, and if your, your payment process wasn't you know, 80, 90% electronic today and you were in the position of a customer you know, that Bill's team is trying to help and potentially looking at implementing technology, do you think it would be feasible for you to do that right now in this environment? You know, my answer to that is it depends. Uh, certainly in a light touch deployment, and I'm, I'm obviously familiar with, uh, you know, bottom line products broadly. So certainly one of the payment solutions we use, actually it's, it's the majority of our payments in North America is, is pay mode. And I'm familiar with how pay mode gets implemented and how payers and vendors get onboarded. And certainly we could do that. We could do that, I think, very, very effectively. That's a light touch implementation. It can be done telephonically, working with people. Uh, so certainly a deployment of that type of technology, light touch, quick, up and running, highly effective. I would have no hesitation on whatsoever. You know, different types of technologies that might be more integrated with an overall ERP system that would involve more complicated integrations or even configurations. I think in the current current environment, that would be, be somewhat more challenging, probably substantially more challenging, so I'd probably pause on that. But certainly a light touch deployment that got you up and running on critical, you know, financial operations, I think absolutely, we would, if we had to do that, we would be doing that. We would, we would really have no other option. So that would be how I view that. That makes sense. And, you know, Bill, as you hear Eric mention things like a light touch deployment and, and you think about, you know, technology broadly and, and um, you know, would be consulting with companies that are potentially evaluating technology. What is your advice to teams that need to implement a solution now and what should they look for specifically? Yeah, I mean, Eric hit on some really great points, right, in the perspective of, you know, how, you know, how do you look at bringing these technologies into the mix in an environment like this. And I know for myself and, you know, my teams who are working with customers and developing new products, you know, one of the, you know, things that we've, you know, historically been focused on, continue to be focused on, and will be in the future is, you know, really looking at how do we make um, all of these different technologies a lighter touch implementation and to do the things that, that Eric mentioned. And, you know, I break it down into a, a couple of key areas when we think about implementing new technology. One is the, the process of doing that. And, you know, really in today's day and age, and has been even before this, you know, pandemic, a lot of process associated with implementing new technology, whether it's, you know, a project kickoff or recurring planning meetings or testing and training, that's been happening remote in most cases. You know, a lot of the customers that we work with, a vast majority, you know, we do a lot of that work with them remotely. Um, and have been leveraging technologies to do that for, for quite some time. Um, and then I think the other, you know, dynamic, and it gets to the lighter touch again from Eric's perspective, is, you know, the, the products that you're leveraging and making sure that they are 
intuitive to use um, so that, you know, as they get deployed to uh, people within your financial operations, it's easy for them to understand, it's easy, easy for them to navigate, cuts down on training, cuts down on, you know, kind of change disruption, if you will, about leveraging new technology. The other piece is around, you know, integration to ERPs and, you know, Eric, you know, talked about that in some cases, you know, technology can, you know, require a lift from an ERP integration standpoint, but we're also seeing shifts in you know, some of those approaches and, and we also provide some capabilities to make that a lighter touch with, you know, more uh, cloud-based uh, and API-based technology to integrate with ERPs, which can help customers adopt payments or invoicing solutions um, more easily. And then I think the other piece, and, you know, Eric touched on it a little bit about, um, you know, supplier enrollment or vendor enrollment services is, you know, also, you know, understanding that a lot of these, you know, technology solutions come with support services that will help you with that transition and, and, and help your suppliers with that transition around engaging them, educating them, bringing them onto these platforms so that you not only have a great, you know, product and set of technology to leverage, but you have a team usually of, of really good people who will work with you to um, not only help educate your teams, but also your suppliers as you kind of make this, this, this change in process. Thanks, Bill and Eric. Some great insight you know, from both of you um, into how AP automation technology can be implemented even now and the support that's available to companies that are looking to do that. Um, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about security. You know, Eric, you mentioned earlier cost effectiveness, efficiency, and scalability as being key benefits of technology that you implement, but um, more and more we're hearing from customers and reading in the news that Fraudsters are really trying to take advantage of the current situation and fraud attempts are on the rise. Is this something that your AP team is experiencing, Eric? And if so, what are you doing about it? Yeah, great question. So I, you know, across the global accounting team, I think we've always had a very uh, foundational level awareness of fraud and the risk of fraud. Certainly, given our familiarity with payments products, just what we do for customers and some of the you know, some of the reasons, and as I just know this through my history at bottom line, where we might get called into a customer account that could have been a payment problem uh, or, so, or some type of fraud, and companies are looking to make that process more secure. So I think our, our team has always had a heightened awareness of that. You know, one phrase we use sort of cliche uh, periodically is criminals don't take days off. So, you know, I, there are the bad actors will try to exploit any opening and this unfortunately is a circumstance we find ourselves in where everyone is working much more regularly through email without the benefit of face-to-face -face or even in some cases even telephonic uh, conversations puts puts everything at a, into a different risk profile in my view so you know phishing attempts uh, social engineering attempts to divert funds uh, through email, I think those have those have been areas of exposure for many years. I think that's a heightened area of exposure in the current climate. We use a number of tools, technology tools within Bottom Line, focused on security. I won't I won't go into any great depth on those, but you know what we've just tried to reinforce across all of our teams is don't rely on an email. Uh, you know we have decentralized accounting operations across our worldwide business units, but we've got a very, very narrow concentration of individuals who can actually release funds or sign a check. So 
we just try to get back to basics in that environment, pick up the phone and call. Everyone should be reachable. It might take a little extra effort, but if in doubt, call. Don't rely on an email. And we have a certain way of operating. We've got a very tenured team. Being alert to are you being asked to operate in a way that really is fundamentally different than you might have operated in the past, or you get a request that really differs from the way you've gotten a similar request in the past. You know, we've just encouraged people to stay very, very vigilant on that and and connect with Huck in real time to confirm that the instruction is real. But I think fraud is always a risk. And again, I think bad actors will exploit any opportunity, any weakness, any distraction um, to try to benefit. And I think that's the environment we find ourselves in, unfortunately, as part of this challenge. Thanks, Eric. Any, anything you'd add, Bill, as far as what finance and accounting teams should be doing to protect themselves? Yeah, I think there's a, you, there's a couple of areas to, to look at. And, you know, one of them I think is fairly basic, but I think it's important for, for organizations to look at and, and to be thinking about in this environment and going forward. You know, the, the first is to take the time to, you know, review policies, procedures, and, you know, make sure um, all of those things are up to date when you think about authorized users, you know, processes for segregation of duties. If you're using, you know, payment or invoice technology, making sure that you have, you know, the right contacts and authorized users on that technology is incredibly important because you know it really makes um, makes sure that the the organization that you're working with your technology provider knows you know who who can contact them who can ask questions um, and that really helps you have a partner in you know working through issues that could be fraudulent in areas like you know BEC or phishing or account takeover I think the other piece too is you know, going back to you know kind of technology themes. You know, it's really important to you know when you think about finance financial processes to you know ensure that technology is at the uh, excuse me security is at the core of that technology, and it's leveraging things like multi-factor authentication to you know prevent uh, account takeover or user access takeover, um, using technology to help with like. Um, identity validation uh, to make sure that you know where people are logging in or who is logging in is um, you know fit for purpose, if you will. And then I also think, um, and, and things that we do at Bottom Line within our technology is um, you know having uh, you know, suspicious monitoring of activity. Um, you know we do things, for example, where you know we're monitoring payment activity to look for you know trends or um, flags that are out of the norm. Um, we're taking and, and interrogating information on invoices that we're receiving on the behalf of customers and understanding, you know, has that invoice came from that email address before? And if it hasn't, you know, that's a red flag for us. Um, so I think, you know, just from a, you know, a finance operations standpoint, you're looking at some of the basic things that you can do, um, but then also looking at technology and, and really creating kind of multi-layers around security so that, um, you know, as the fraudsters are trying to, um, you know, leverage this situation or just in the future, you really have a strong, um, you know, kind of fortress-like approach to, you know, protecting your financial operations. Yeah, some great um, tips and, and ways technology can be leveraged to improve security there, Bill. Thanks for that. Um, Eric mentioned earlier that, you know, certainly businesses will look at their continuity planning much differently in the future. 
Um, and, it, and it certainly seems like security will uh, be a, a key component of that payment security specifically. So to wrap here um, today, in keeping with the theme of looking forward, if you were to each think about you know, 30 days from now and maybe even six months from now, uh, what will life look like for finance and accounting teams and you know, what advice might you have for them? Is there anything you'd add above and beyond what you've shared today? Maybe we can start with Bill. Yeah, you know, you know, Eric made a you know a good point earlier about you know not really knowing what uh, you know the new normal will be when we come out of this this situation. I also don't necessarily think I can you know predict the future of exactly what um, what uh, organizations should expect. But you know, I, I do think it goes back to you know just organizations continuously looking at how are they operating, you know, understanding their you know business continuity plans, and then really looking and challenging how they're leveraging technology to um, support their employees and their partners and, and making sure that they're thinking about all of the different, you know, operating environments that they, that they might be in. Um, you know, an example for me is, is mobile. And, um, you know, Eric talked about the fact that a lot of his organization traditionally was in the office. And so as they evaluated technology, you know, mobile might not have been something that they had top of mind. I think that's going to change, right? So I think, you know, as we look forward and as organizations look at technology, I think they need to look at it through a different lens of whether it's, you know, better suited to support different work environments. I think it's also really important that, um, you know, organizations look at technology that um, suits a purpose for today, but is also, you know, scalable and flexible to help them, you know, operate in, you know, leveraging new payment technologies. Um, for example, you know, we've heard, you know, some of the um, questions about, you know, how could I more uh, easily adopt a faster payment model? I need to move money to my suppliers quicker. And so, you know, making sure that um, as you're looking at, you know, technology and processes, um, it gives you the ability to be able to pivot and react and, you know, adopt the, the new solutions that could really help you with your operations, but also um, your suppliers operations. Thanks, Bill. Any final thoughts from you, Eric? You know, one of the when we talk about digital payments or digital uh, solutions to facilitate the payment process. Uh, you know, one thing we didn't really talk about we when you asked me to pause on what the next thirty days are going as far as six months might look like. I, I think it's. I think one of the key metrics that just every company, regardless of industry, will be hyper focused on is, is cash flow broadly, broadly, inbound and outbound. And I, as much as the ability to continue to make payments or receive payments is, of course, vital, I think technologies that can enable or enhance an organization's ability to uh, provide visibility into their supply chain so that vendors know when they're going to get paid or provide visibility through their receivables platforms to know when they can they can themselves expect payment, one person's receivables, another person's payable, of course. I think that type of technology will become increasingly valuable. Uh, the, the natural reaction to the challenge we're in is that cash flow is going to start to be delayed. Companies will push payables which will, of course, um, affect someone's receivables position. It's just going to be a cyclical, I believe, reality 
that will take some time to return to normal. So technologies that can enable not only the certainty of payment, but also visibility into when that payment is scheduled to occur to alleviate some of the anxiety, to alleviate some of the uncertainty, I think will, will be very, very valuable. Thanks, Eric. Um, really appreciate the insights from both of you um, for being part of this conversation. From everyone at Bottom Line, we hope our listeners are staying well, um, and we're here to help with any questions that you might have about how to make AP operations work better during this time. Thanks. Thank you, Andrea. Thanks.